Hello and welcome to the Rugby Show here on the 42.8 Women's Rugby World Cup edition. My own name is Gavin Casey and we are here to discuss Ireland's opening win in this year's tournament at home to Australia and I'm delighted to be joined by the most capped Irish women's international of all time. It is the legend. Lynn Cantwell. <laughs> Lynn, how are things? Good, good. Did you enjoy yourself yesterday? Was it was it possible to enjoy it as a as a spectator now? Look, I think the whole day was an enjoyable day. So most certainly, like I was there from early hours in UCD, and the whole day is absolutely brilliant. There's supporters coming and going. There's teams coming and going. There's some serious high quality rugby being played all day. Once five o'clock came, obviously seven o'clock came. Kick off. It was definitely a very nervy. Uh, you know, 80 minutes and then a lot of relief at the end of it. So that kind of sums up the emotions for the oh, day. Oh, it was a roller coaster, I'd imagine. Yeah. Uh, I suppose we might start by putting the game into some sort of context. I think some people who will tune in today mightn't be as familiar with the women's game as they are with the men's game, for example. And it might be easy to kind of look at a victory over Australia and think, well, Ireland have beaten Australia, everything is great. But this Australian team, you know, not like relative to their opponents, aren't at the similar standard to, to the men's team in terms of their world standing. And then you've got a kind of an unknown entity with them as well. A lot of players were inexperienced. Um, Hallie Murphy, for example, who scored a try, had never played a game of 15s. So when you were on the RT panel then last night and you were, all three of you were quite critical of, of Ireland, you were, you were critical for a reason, I guess, because they will hold themselves to perhaps higher standards than they, than they showed yesterday. Yeah, I think so. Um, from an Australian point of view, I think the world are, are watching Australia in anticipation and hoping that they do well because they play some beautiful, beautiful rugby. It's just that from a um, national point of view, they've just not been developed um, mm. over the last couple of years. There's a lot of criticisms around the conflict with, with sevens there, which is probably a little bit unfair. It's not that the funding has gone to sevens as opposed to fifteens. It's just a lot of funding has gone to sevens because of lots of reasons and it just it just has continued not to go to fifteens. And as a result what we see is we see an Australian team compared to the last World Cup they've only played five test matches and we know at the age of the women's game it's test matches is where you improve. So they've only had five and the last we saw of them was they played three summer tests in June um, and they were quite poor. They looked very rusty. They looked very inaccurate. There was lots of selection changes, which changed hugely then to what we saw. So what, what, what basically happened is Ireland were coming into this game with a very unpredictable um, platform and target, not knowing what Australia were going to produce. But we knew they always could be very, very good and they ended up being very good. Um, so then we look at Ireland and I suppose in the presence of the unknown, of not knowing what Australia were going to be, we were focused on Ireland. What we saw of them in the Six Nations was really, really positive, really, really strong. We expected more of that. But probably what we saw last night was um, pressure maybe getting to Ireland a little bit, definitely in the first half. Australia, most certainly, they did not care who they were playing at all. They were like, we're out here to prove a point, mm. um, which, which upset Ireland. Then the second half, Ireland obviously came back. Subs made a big big impact. So I'd hope it's that Ireland that we're going to see for the rest of the tournaments. Yeah, big time. You mentioned pressure there and I suppose there, there are all sorts of external pressures involved for this Ireland team. On the one hand, you're the host nation, which in any sport, men's or women's, there's an added pressure to that. But I think in terms of like the initiative being shown now towards women's sport in Ireland, this Ireland team are like ambassadors for that movement as such. And, and to have that coupled with the fact that you're a host nation, You've almost got like two separate external pressures or maybe two pressures that amalgamate into one enormous pressure. Mm. And then you've got this 
I suppose, an expectation upon yourself to just perform. And, mm. and you made the point, it was a really interesting debate on RT last night, like that they kind of need to separate the two or at least ignore one and just literally focus on performing. But do you reckon that that external pressure did get to them a little bit yesterday? first World Cup game on home mm. soil with, with all of this expectation. Well that's it and I suppose the team will only be able to kind of answer that themselves. What we did see last night was a, an Ireland that weren't performing at their best so we need to figure out and the girls need to figure out whether that was you know tactical and strategic stuff um, and that's stuff that they can change or whether it was just pressure stuff which obviously they can change so ultimately it definitely can be changed. But this is an, a new beast, obviously, first time host nation. Um, the profile of the game is improving. This is absolutely great. But the girls are huge ambassadors for that and are the biggest driving force behind it at the moment. Mm. And obviously the media are, are leveraging that, which is a very, very positive thing. However, the girls and the team need to be able to be supported to understand how to cope with that. And, and I understand that that is a skill set that's necessary for any elite team. However, when it's new, you need to be supported in how to do that and that's probably where your your management your support management your support services your you know sports psych etc that's like a seriously huge cog of what's necessary to be able to prep people because ultimately what we're trying to do with athletes is just allow them the freedom to play the game get rid of all of this noise and just play the game whereas i think what we saw last night is ireland not just playing their game and i think that that definitely added to a little bit of an underperformance. Yeah, like I suppose you could make the argument that as opposed to simply playing Australia, it was like they were playing Australia plus the occasion. And you look at the conditions, for example, they were pretty optimal in terms of playing rugby and just the number of, number of handling errors. At one point, like Ireland had 16 missed tackles to Australia's two, mm -hmm. which was remarkable. And, and you, you, you're looking at that and you know what Ireland are capable, capable of based on their Six Nations performance. And you kind of do have to put it down to this external thing I guess but having gone through it now and, and escaped with a victory supp I suppose we can be reasonably optimistic in the sense that there's a chance they kind of have that monkey off their back now a little bit um, I was making the point to you before we came on as well like or, or maybe suggesting the point that when you have these shortcomings in a game and you know what you need to focus on the various aspects that you need to improve on for the next game it might be the case that all of your focus can yeah. go into improving these facets as opposed to being distracted by the external stuff. Now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like training and like training to pass well off your left hand or scrummage, that's all practiced. Whereas now they are more practiced in what it's like to switch on, switch off. And, and as you say, often it just takes the start of a tournament to be, be able to say, OK, this is what we're doing. This is what we're focusing on. This is our video analysis from the last game. This is what we're going to be doing in the next game and just do that. Because I know that they can do it, whereas I, yesterday they, they didn't produce it, you know? So there's nothing better than obviously just those objective measures and those objective things when they see the video analysis is to say, this is what we did wrong. We know that we can do better. Yeah, I mean, we saw a massive improvement in the second half as well, and maybe that was part of it. You go in at halftime and you know where you've, where you've fallen short and where you're okay, and there were various aspects of Ireland's play that did improve. Uh, the scrum was, was benefited massively by substitutions, mm. and I wondered maybe if you'd maybe shed some light on, on the players that came off the bench. I mean, Sophie Spence was magnificent, mm. uh, like Keir, uh, Griffin as well, like a monumental performance by her. We might get to selection later, but just in terms of, I suppose, the players that came on, would you have made the case for some of them starting? Like, uh, did, did Tierney get the selection wrong or 
How would you view it? Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because again, you're dealing with a huge unpredictable. So literally five of the players that started for Australia, five or six of the players that started for Australia, um, three of them were debutants and the other three didn't start in the autumn or in the in the summer series and so you're and, and and a couple of those players like the Pumara who was the 10 she made a huge impact to the pace of the game etc um, so there's a few unpredictables there and although you do base your selection on your own strengths there is a little bit of horses for courses commonly in, in, in tournament rugby whereby you select based on um, teams weaknesses too sure, you know yeah. so there's a little bit of that and then you'd expect the management to be able to spot that and make changes accordingly. Um, so from a selection point of view, it, it was interesting because Paula Fitzpatrick was in in the second row. She's not a seasoned campaigner in second row. Did that upset the actual scrummaging question mark or was it tactically that Patu, who was the um, Australian front row, she was just seemed to be getting the edge on and the nudge on Ailish Egan, whether they target her, I'm not too sure. Ailish should have been able to counteract that or nudge to the ref and say something's going on here mm. that's illegal, which it was, and as a result, it would have put them off platform for a whole half, which is a significant amount of time. Then we saw, obviously, Sophie Spence and Kira Griffin come on the second half. They had fires in their bellies. Their tail was seriously up. They were like, Tom Tierney, I'm starting the next yeah. game, as well as putting that extra stability in the platform, which made a huge difference. And, you know, testaments to two girls to be subs and both come on and both score tries. You know, that's certainly going to put your <laughs> name on the team sheet for next time. Absolutely, yeah. No, it, it, it transpired to make all the difference. I mean, the uh, the improvement in the, in the scrum in particular was was remarkable. Um, looking ahead to Japan, then, as you said, these players have put their hands up for selection. There's probably an argument to be made that, like, with the team as a whole having recovered, that you might want to change it too much. But then you kind of can't ignore the impact that these players have had. And like with the format of this tournament, it's it's losing, you go home essentially, Ireland mm. already being at home, but mm. you know, you, you'll have less to play for. So would you include the likes of Spence, uh, Kira Griffin, and I think um, O'Connor as well who came on and did a very good job in the scrum? Yeah, again, you know, <coughs> who wants to be a head coach? You know, it's a headache. <laughs> I'll duck out of it then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're, you on the spot well, Yeah, here. we're talking here, aren't we? Um, so what do you do? There, there's, there's a huge argument for some form of rotation. We know and we've seen in, in previous World Cups that it's five games. The most important five the most important of those five games are the last two. Mm. If you run out of steam by the last two, the whole tournament is, is kind of um reneged. So um if tactically you have the ability to keep some really important key players on the bench and then choose to start them, choose to have them on the bench just to manage their load, then that's really great. Um, and therefore, great, let's keep on doing that and pace all of these girls as we go on. Um, or is it just performance-based? And if it is performance-based, I think those girls have most certainly put their hand up to say, no, I should be starting this game. With regard to Japan, I think historically Japan, well, not historically, just physically Japan are a smaller team um, and as a result you would expect to bully them or be more dominant in the scrum but I'd say there's a huge argument for Ireland needing to get their confidence back up mm. so I'd probably be um, on the side of <coughs> selecting your strongest scrummage inside your strongest platform side because it's that platform that we didn't have yesterday that disrupted a lot of things now I do think the back line and the handling errors in the back line um, the players can take individual responsibility for yeah. those as well that you can't just be blamed on the pack however there's a huge ripple effect when you're you know your first phase ball when you don't get that you're always just scrapping for the rest of the game that was an interesting aspect <coughs> of, the, of the game as well because like 
I suppose like uh, Claire Malloy like had a, a massive game carrying the ball. Like she she wouldn't stop carrying the ball, but like Ireland were fairly ineffectual on the ground, and and mm-hmm. that's where I would have thought she might excel. And and even those around her, really, I, I was probably a little bit surprised to see them. Certainly, the first half almost get bullied. You know, like yeah. and even at the start of the second half, when Australia were building the phases and, and moving into Irish territory, uh, that's a difficult one for me to kind of understand like how do you improve in the breakdown from game on game because like uh, maybe it's it's a convenient way of looking at it but uh, i suppose like it's a difficult thing to, to just watch people get getting kind of blown backwards how do you improve kind of physically you know but yeah. can you apply yourself more or is, is it partially an attitude thing going into the next one yeah there's a couple of things so i think <coughs> if we're talking about defensive organization i think that ireland were slow to come up um an aggressive defensive line, a collective, a collaborative, aggressive defensive line coming up is going to at least give, take the momentum out of the Australian attack. Um, so I think that was something that Ireland lacked yesterday. And mm. that most certainly is a recognition that's a concentration, that's an intensity thing. So that's a collective, collective responsibility. Personally, I thought that coming into the game, <coughs> because what we'd seen in the summer series is that we knew Australia had a lot of big runners, but we knew they had a lot of disorganised rooks. Um, so I thought that was going to be an opportunity for Ireland where you've got the Claire Malloys. That's why I thought maybe Ashley Baxter was brought in because their jackal and their decision making on the ground is quite, is quite astute. Um, what we saw, however, was big ball carriers who had clean rocks, and as a result, it's your decision on the pitch to say, okay, the jackal's not on, and therefore us overcommitting to that rock is actually not in, not on. Where is the where is the weakness now? You know, so you have to make decisions within the game, and you should be able to snuffle them out probably in the first ten to fifteen minutes. Um, it's all decision making, you know. So when I'm going into a rock, is it the right decision? How many people are there? Is it a quick rock? Is it a fast rock? Who's around me? Where am I in the pitch? Um, and you'd expect the players to be deciphering that in every kind of decision that they make, and then they choose what they do off that. And it took them too long to kind of get to grips with that in terms of the decision-making <laughs> process yesterday? I think so, because I think Australia proved to be more dominant. They had some really, really good um, ball carriers, but the Shannon Parrys, who's the, the captain, just their rucking ability was nice and clean, and then Baker was getting the ball away straight away. The Pumaru's, the 10, she was putting exceptional pace on the ball from the get-go, as well as it not being matched with Ireland's quick defensive line. And as a result, they were just causing havoc in yeah. lots of different places. Yeah, big time. And like uh, you guys made the point in RT last night that like were it not for a, a botched conversion and, and the ball falling off the tee, this yeah. is a, probably a completely different conversation. You know, what ifs? There's there's no point in them really. But for the members of that Irish squad now, knowing they've kind of escaped and they've won on the big occasion, ultimately. You mentioned confidence there a minute ago, and, and against Japan, how important it is to kind of regain that confidence. Is that something that? I always wonder, something as intangible as confidence, is it something that would be discussed in camp or is it kind of more a case of doing on the training ground and, and it inherently builds up again inside you? Or like, is it about having conversations about why our confidence was low or how to improve it? Yeah, I think I think it, it can just depend on the situation. I think if there's um, a collective hush or if there's a collective just quiet which is which is kind of uncharacteristic then it has to be addressed most certainly now sometimes it can be just 
a direction and that's where you know the Claire Malloy's or the Sophie Spence's or the big ball carriers just say girls let's just go for this yeah. and it's just that an aggressive aggressive um, uh, intensity I suppose and then everybody else's intensity will rise or if there's something that's niggling within the squad um, then it needs to be addressed from a team meeting point of view to be able to, to rebuild and refocus and get everybody on the same page everybody on the same page in the team sport is absolutely essential because if you have everybody on the team everybody on the same page that builds confidence and then from confidence comes all of the other things yeah how, how important is uh, Claire Malloy's role now uh, obviously like Niamh brings his loss it's been well documented at this point but like Claire Malloy obviously she's, she is a, a part of that core leadership anyway but has kind of been thrust into this position that maybe she wouldn't have foreseen coming into the tournament a few weeks ago and now all of a sudden she's kind of responsible or partially responsible for galvanizing a team that maybe is a little bit uncertain after yesterday like look you're well well versed in that in that position yourself but what will she be saying to her players and and how do you get the kind of spirits high again um, and that's maybe they won't be too low after mm. yesterday but how do you properly build going into that Japan game yeah I think I think like any team you will have a group of decision makers and mm. I think that regardless of who was selected as captain they still remain the same and equally you know Malloy's role should remain the same and it's important her she, she's just a very uh, analytical player and as a result overloading her with responsibility is, is bad you just want her to play her game you know because she just tends to have a head down bum up type of approach anyway and um, so your decision makers your your Nora Stapleton your Paula, Paula Fitzpatrick your Ailish Egan's etc Mazzy Riley's they'll still keep on doing the job so you rely on them to be able to just regather refocus keep having their conversations amongst themselves your decision making conversations amongst themselves and just get the whole group going forward and equally it's an opportunity for the younger players to be able to engage in that at an outside level too because ultimately what you want to get is yes you want kind of four or five key decision makers going forward in, in, in pivotal roles but you want all of the players to, to be somewhat involved in those and understand what's going on so that they're all on the same on the same sheet you know and they so get that opportunity kind of on the basis that you're all you're almost started from scratch in a sense like after that opening game where everybody's kind of on an even keel hands are up for selection in various positions and whereas it might have been more of a an established group coming into the tournament like as in the younger players kind of get more of an opportunity to have a say in, in the whole process now yeah yeah and again each team will be different as to how they structure it what you'd expect the younger players to be to be doing would just be themselves trying to um, develop at their own pace so you'd expect them to be looking at their game and video analysis be looking at their game and just improving the things that they need to be improved where does that fit into the bigger picture the girls will probably have more kind of technical and or more tactical and strategic conversations etc but you'd expect then that to be brought together in your team meeting and it'd be very clear and concise very straightforward and simple girls this was our two things that we probably let ourselves down in this is what we're going to focus on for the next game and everybody's like okay hell for letter on that yeah very good uh, you mentioned uh, Nora Stapleton there a minute ago and she was the subject of a, a, an outlandish tweet I received from, from Michael Corcoran uh, this morning who <laughs> asked me to put it to you. He has an idea for Ireland's backline, for, for a rejig of Ireland's backline. Um, I'm not sure what you make of this now, but he uh, suggests moving Nora Stapleton to 15, fullback, uh, shifting Na Naopu to out half, uh, Jenny Murphy moving her inside to 12, and then uh, putting Katie Fitzhenry at 13. I suppose if we looked at yesterday's game, 
it was Australia who had the, kind of seemed to have the runners in the back line. I mean, Alison Miller did a great job of like beating one defender and, and ultimately she, she'd be stopped. But like explosivity, I suppose, in, in the back line is something Ireland maybe lacked a little bit yesterday. Would you make that decision that, that Michael has made or maybe alternatively, would you rejig the backline at all? How do how, you see them lining up against I Japan? I think Michael's just trying to put us on the spot, Gavin. <laughs> <laughs> he should know better. Michael, I should have known better, Michael. <laughs> um, I, think, I think it's an interesting combination and actually not a bad combination. I don't think necessary for the World Cup and I'd be disappointed if they made such significant changes at this, at this late stage. Um, Nora is well able, for, so from, from a 15 point of view, from a kicking point of view, that would be quite useful. Um, Hannah Tyrrell has kicked with, at 15 with Leinster before, um, but probably just needs some more direction tactically where to be, where to be kicking. Um, you're right, is that she's more of a drifter, she's not much of a strike line, but nor, nor is Nora from a 15 point of view. And, and um, often if you have... Yeah, I suppose then if you have Jen in at, in at 12, Katie Vitenry, I think that she's got lots of potential going forward and she's quite a nice stepper. And I think uh, Sene and Jen play a similar type of a game. It's nice to have a combination of a strike runner and a ball player at 13. So that's quite a nice combination, 12, 13. But again, Sene at 10, uh, I just don't think she would have the strengths of Nora from a kicking point of view. Um, and although Nora was probably a little bit quiet yesterday, whether that was on the back of an unstable scrum um, or for other reasons, I know the back three for Australia had dropped, so it wasn't going to be a huge kicking game. But usually, from a strategy point of view, she's, she's A1. She's, she's a, a great strategist to have in the Irish strength. God's sake, Michael, landing, landing a Senate. Uh, Lynn, before we wrap up, I suppose... Maybe looking beyond yesterday and, and looking at Japan and, and then France, you obviously would feel that Ireland have it within them based on what we saw in the spring and, and even over the last couple of years to, to make a serious dent and have a serious go at this tournament, regardless of yesterday. What do you see happening? Do you reckon they can properly get it together in the rest of this pool? Or do you think that pressure might ultimately tell and, and they might just fall short of where they wanted to get to? Um, I think that Ireland will grow into the tournament. I think that this is a serious um, awakening for anybody who was a little bit complacent or a little bit caught in the moment as opposed to the performance um, that was necessarily on the day. Um, I think they'll put a strong performance against Japan. I think they'll be dominant against Japan, against Japan which will springboard them into into the French game. France will be very difficult competition, but they're well versed in being able to play them. Um, France put 72 points, obviously, on Japan, which is serious try scoring ability. Like I, don't, like, I don't think Ireland necessarily have the ability to score as many tries as France do with some, a conversation that I'd love to be having with you in a couple of years' time, and I think they can, um, but just not yet. Regardless of that, I think they have the ability to put one over on the French come with August 17th. So, so uh, it'll be game on on that day. That'll be pretty much a quarter final. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't wait for that. Uh, yeah, hopefully we'll speak to you before three years down the line when Ireland put 15 <laughs> tries on Japan. But uh, we'll see how the rest of it plays out. We'll be back, of course. Uh, but uh, after the Japan game, and uh, hopefully we'll be speaking to you again, Lynn, before the tournament is out. But thanks a million for joining us. Much appreciated. My pleasure. And thanks to you guys at home for watching and for the comments as well. Keep them coming, Lynn. We can check them out afterwards. And, Mine is uh, Corky's. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What the hell is going on there? <laughs> uh, but yeah, cheers. Uh, until next week, take it easy.